If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 13th, 2012. And today we'll just be covering uh, not a lot of different topics, uh, uh, just some topics regarding the first one uh, entitled Pope Benedict, uh, present while Catholic deacon invokes Lucifer during the Easter Vigil Mass. This is pretty, pretty amazing thing that I've actually got confirmation on. Then we're going to actually segue into a little uh, part on the NIV Bible actually calling Lucifer, or Satan, Jesus Christ. And we can, we'll prove that. And then, segueing also then into how the Catholics have reintroduced uh, indulgences. that they're, they're on the comeback, and uh, that's being done now. We're going to be looking at that. And then, how the Catholic Church has actually, has other knockoffs in other countries like China, in this particular case of Our Lady of China, and how that merges uh, also Buddhism with Roman Catholicism, and, and then how that sets the stage for uh, the coming one world religion, or at least one of the parts to kind of see the big picture. So, we're going to be looking at those particular topics today, and let's go ahead and start out with the first one here. This was sent to me by a listener uh, named Junior, and it was a link, and I, I got this from a lot of different people, and I was a little skeptical at the very beginning because I thought, well, I need to get confirmation on this because I don't know how to speak Latin. But Junior did a lot of work on this, and he's got a background in Latin as well, and confirmed that this actually is true. Pope Benedict XVI, present while Catholic deacon, invokes Lucifer during the Ishtar, goddess Ishtar, I mean Easter, Vigil Mass. Now, if you know, I've done a whole teaching on Easter and its pagan roots. It has nothing to do with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Nothing. It's a pagan holiday. Uh, you can put a Christian veneer on it all day long. It doesn't change the fact of what it was at its origin. And that's all that really matters, if you think about it. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, if something was wicked and corrupt from the very beginning, okay... You can put lipstick on a pig all day long, but it's still a pig, you know, is, is the bottom line. So, I know that might be offensive to a lot of people, but the thing is, is if we were to go back to the inception of when Ishtar, or Easter, was celebrated, which is determined essentially through astrology, in order to actually find the date, <clears throat> and if you were to go back to its pagan roots and its inception, you wouldn't, there would be no debate between you and I as to whether it was pagan or not, or to whether it was evil or not. If we were to go back to that time era, is what I'm saying, when it was first started, there, there'd be no debate. There'd be no debate at all. It would be a foregone conclusion, a given, okay, it's pagan, it's evil, it's wicked. You know, they sacrifice children on that date. The priests would impregnate virgins, these Ishtar priests would impregnate virgins on Easter. 
the virgins would conceive, I'm, I'm sure some of them would. Nine months later, they would give birth, and then three months after that, okay, you're back at Easter again, right? Well, that would be when they would sacrifice those babies that were impregnated the Easter before. Human sacrifice of babies. That's real Christian. That's, I mean, that's about as Christian as it gets, right? I mean, no, obviously not. But that's what they would do. That's just one of the horrific things that Ishtar represents, or Easter. I say Ishtar because it's it's a derivative of the goddess Ishtar, which is where we get that word Easter. Okay, so I've done a whole study on this. I give you the link to that. It's, it's uh, I don't know, three or four pages into this PDF for... May 13th, 2012 at contendingfortruth.com. I try to put a PDF with every audio that I do. It's all free. Go up there, access it, do a keyword search on the website. Hopefully it's like one-stop shopping for you. Obviously I have not covered every topic on the planet. A lot of people put in requests for me to do a, teach it on this or that. It's just very hard with literally thousands of topics to cover. It's hard. You just can't get to them. One, one person can only do so much. But, yeah, if you want to know more about what Easter is all really about. So, see, this doesn't really surprise me that they would invoke Lucifer during an Easter Vigil Mass. All under the sick, disgusting guise of it being religious and holy and Christian. I, I just cannot stand when Christianity gets lumped in with this wicked, evil, pagan religion, as Roman Catholicism is. So, at the 27 and 32nd mark in this video, and I'm going to play the clip, of course, unless you know how to speak Latin, you're not going to really understand, but you'll hear, I believe the way it's said, Lucifer is said in Latin, it sounds like it's Lucifer, something to that effect. Anyway, I got the words here that the guy is actually saying. Flamas, Ios, Lucifer. Anyway, I don't know. I don't want to speak Latin. So, um, <clears throat> says it twice, which translates into, now, we've got some different translations, but they've all, they're all coming to the same conclusion. Other Latin scholars looked at this as well, who are actually Catholics, and they're even admitting to this. So, it translates, and, and again, we're going to look at a, a couple other ways that they believe it translates, but it still says the same thing, essentially. Which translates into, Flaming Lucifer finds mankind. I say, oh Lucifer, who will never be defeated? <laughs> this is unbelievable! Christ is your son. I'm not making this stuff up. Christ is your son, who came back from hell, shed his peaceful light, and is alive and reigns in the world without end. So now, they're saying Jesus Christ is Lucifer's son? That's not too blasphemous, right? No. But again, unless you know Latin, and I mean it's this big, long, drawn-out, liturgical bunch of religious garbage that you get with a Catholic church, everybody dressed up in their flowing robes, oh, it all looks so religious, and oh... So this veneer of, of holiness. And as the Bible refers to them, they're like whitened sepulchers full of dead man's bones. They appear beautiful on the outside, but inwardly, they're like, they are full of like dead man's bones. It's like they're a tomb. 
They're death. All they can, all the Catholic religion can offer you is death and hell. That's it. That's all it can offer you. A total abomination that has no biblical basis whatsoever. They do not care about what the Bible says. They pick and choose whatever they want to pick and choose out of the Bible for their own benefit, and then they make up the rest as they go. They, whatever, whatever suits the Catholic religion, the popes, whatever suits their fancy. And they introduce all these totally unbiblical practices, which they've done over the thousands of years they've been in existence, instituting different things, purgatory, indulgences, as we mentioned, limbo, Stuff like that. That has no biblical basis. Now, in the Apocrypha, they, they get a lot of this stuff from the Apocrypha, which is why I don't you know, recommend that, obviously. But, <clears throat> yeah, this is what they do. Flaming Lucifer finds mankind. This is what this deacon said. He's singing. Real, real holy sounding, you know. Flaming Lucifer finds mankind. I say, oh, Lucifer, who will never be defeated... We really know what side the Catholic Church is on here. Then they have the audacity to say, Christ is your son who came back from hell. Man, talk about no fear of God. No fear of God whatsoever. Let's go ahead and play this clip here. Okay, I'm going to play a little bit of the start of this. This is the this is the Easter Vigil Mass at St. Peter's Basilica in front of thousands of people. You're, you're, you can watch it here. And Benedict's there. Um, and uh, there, you know, it, it's this throng of religious, reprobate, apostate Catholic dudes. And they're, uh, they're there doing their thing feeling all religious, and I'm going to go ahead and play just the first part of this so you can kind of understand, the set the stage for the actual clip itself. Prayers that uh, are unique to this Easter vigil from Latin into English. Prayers, the prayers of the liturgy of the Eucharist, and those that are more familiar to our viewers, we will preserve in their original Latin. Well, they're, what they're doing right now is they're ushering good old Pope... Um, Eggs Benedict, I mean Pope Benedict, up to the uh, throne here that he's going to be sitting in. taking his miter off him, it looks like. In, in, inside the miter, inside the, there on the headband, I've, I've been told that it reads Vicar of Christ, which is what the, the title of the Pope is in part. That word vicar means substitute, meaning he believes he is the literal substitute for Christ on planet Earth. How blasphemous is that? Jesus Christ doesn't need any substitute on planet Earth. He is who he is. He doesn't need any help. It's just one blasphemy after another. So he's standing up there. They're going into their procession. 
I can't even hardly stand and watch this stuff. It, it's just so unbelievably blasphemous. So here we're going to get into now the uh, the dude singing, the deacon here. And he's he's doing his thing. And uh, I believe it's at the yeah, 27 minute 30 second mark here. I'm going to fast forward to just before that. Okay, I'm gonna, it's, we're at 27, thir- 24 here. I'm going to go ahead and play this now. Now, again, unless you know Latin, you're not going to understand this, but I want you just to at least kind of be able to hear this clip. Okay, do you hear Lucifer? That's Lucifer. Okay, he says it again, Lucifer. Christos, Christ. Okay, so these are the see these are the words that I just gave you the the translation for. So, um, I, I my first reaction to this was okay. I don't want to put this out unless I get some confirmation. That's what he was really saying. Because I'm no Latin scholar or whatever. So, Junior has a background in Latin. And then he also went and checked with some other... What other Latin scholars were saying, I believe, who were even Catholics. So, it's it's unbiased, obviously. Well, I mean, biased, yeah. But they're, they're not trying to disprove the Catholic religion. They're trying to, you know, do the opposite. So, they're even admitting this. <clears throat> so, he says to me, Junior, he says, Okay, now we have the closet translations of this by university-level Latin speakers. Now, this is after he researched it some more. So, yes, the Catholic whore invoked Lucifer. And this is even more, an even more confirming part is that the comment by a man named Nicholas, who is one of these Catholic Latin-level scholars, supposedly proving how the word Lucifer can be used as a reference to Jesus Christ, according to the Catholic religion. (laughs) It's like, you know, okay, well... I can make up anything and say anything and say it's so. It doesn't make it so. So he says, if you are, that's only if you're the Catholic Church, though. I mean, Lucifer and Jesus Christ being the same thing? No, they're absolutely total polar opposites of the end of the spectrum. It's like black, white. You know, it's, it's like they're the farthest thing apart from one another you could possibly be. One is pure goodness, pure, you know, holiness, the Son of God, the other is, you know, the blackest abode of the pit of hell of, you know, Satan, essentially. So, but no, no, they could be used interchangeably, though, according to the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, they're just funny that way, I guess. So, he goes on to say, unless you're the Catholic Church, that is, in order to make people believe you were referring to Jesus. He goes on to say, wow, satanic genius with double meanings. So, the one guy translates it, this one particular guy, I can't even pronounce the name, um, may the morning star find his flames that Lu- Lucifer, who knows no setting, your your son Christ, who once returned from hell, shone serenely upon the human race and lives and rules in perpetuality. And then the one guy then says, go, he says, fine, go with the official translation, uh, which I think was the one that we just read. And then the, then the last guy, Nicholas, says, the second Lucifer in this translation probably refers to Christ as well. 
Again, how are you getting that, Mr. Latin Scholar? It's just they'll do anything, I think, to protect the veneer of this Catholic Church facade, essentially. And then he, and then he goes, and then he himself, this Catholic dude, Latin guy, goes on to say, how confusing it is for the word to mean both Satan and Jesus simultaneously. <laughs> it can't mean that simultaneously. Words, you know, they're not going to have polar opposite meanings. So this is just their excuse. They're trying to almost like, you know, do a little cover-up for the Catholic Church here. So, I give you the, the teaching that I mentioned earlier on Ishtar and Paganism. It's called Ishtar Paganism Repackaged. There's a little green link for my teaching there. Uh, getting back to this, though. Then he goes on to say, Junior says, Scott, you've got to check this out. I was digging away in some reconnections with Latin sources and restudying my Latin again, and I found the original version of this whatever Easter Vigil Mass liturgy they were reading that was used at the Easter Roman Vigil. And it's called the Exulate or Easter Proclamation. So in other words, this has been around for, who knows, hundreds, thousands of years or whatever. It's not like this is the first time they've invoked Lucifer. Okay? They, but again, when you have this big, gigantic, long thing, and most people don't know how to speak Latin, very few people are going to pick up on this. The Exulate, or Easter Proclamation, is the hymn of praise sung ideally by the deacon, which in this case it was, because the guy, I backed up the video, and I found that the guy, the one guy, the announcer, was saying, yes, and this is the deacon singing this Easter Vigil Mass thing. And then he says, ideally by the deacon, before the Paschal Candle, during the Easter Vigil, in the Roman Rite of Mass. It is sung after procession with the Paschal Candle before the beginning of the liturgy of the Word. It is also used in Anglican and other various Lutheran churches. So there, as far as I'm concerned, all they are are little whorelets of the big whore. Okay? Lutheranism, Anglicanism, these types of churches are just a little more watered down maybe, but um, uh, as far as just Catholicism goes. But they're still, they're, they're... a lot of it is just their, their, their knockoffs of the Catholic Church. They came out of the Catholic Church. So, it's also used in Anglican and various Lutheran churches, as well as other Western Christian denominations. And back to Junior, he says, Look at how this demonic genius, demonically genius this was. As in the version below, which is right out of the Catholic handbook, it first shows the Latin and then the English translation. The translation uses the word morning star, which is what the one guy translated it. Morning star. Now, we're get, I'm, I'm saying all that to get to another point I'm going to make about the NIV Bible. Okay? So, this is the thing that would have been printed on every single missile. Uh, missal, it's spelled M-I-S-S-A-L. I believe it's the things they hand out, so maybe you can follow along, like a little hymnal type of deal. Same concept. Anyway, every single missile handed out at the Roman Catholic Mass. But when you hear the cantor, meaning the guy, the deacon, singing the canto, which I guess was what he was singing, he clearly says Lucifer, which is what I just played you, that clip. He's clearly saying it in Latin. So they did a bait and switch. So here is the Catholic translation of the Latin from the 1970 Roman Missal which should shock you even a little bit more. Now, in this particular version, it reads, You are the morning star that never sets. 
Find this flame still burning. Replace Christ, you morning star. Meaning, now they're referring to this as, as essentially, they're basically, this is not Jesus Christ bright morning star here, okay? They're referring to essentially Lucifer as the morning star. And again, I'm building to another point here. And then it goes on to say, replace Christ. I mean, how could it be Christ if it was truly the bright morning star Jesus Christ? How could Christ replace himself? It has to be some other entity, which is Lucifer. And again, there's different ways they translate it, but they'll translate the morning star Lucifer or morning star. And then they lump, they lump Christ into there so they can say, oh, well, it really means this when it meant this. So again, you are the morning star that never sets. Find this flame still burning. Replace Christ. Can't be Jesus Christ if they're asking him to replace Christ. It's Lucifer they're in reference to. And then it says, replace Christ, you morning star, who came back from hell and shed this new light on all mankind, you, your star who lives and reigns forever and ever. Now, this leads me it's like the Holy Spirit convicted me about one of the things that I first, one of the first reasons I ever, ever considered starting to use the King James Bible. This totally fits into that. And we're going to segue now into the NIV Bible calling Lucifer Jesus Christ. Now, the NIV Bible is also a Catholic Bible. Why do you say that? Well, again, I've said this many times before, but when the revised version came out, the revised version came out in 1881 of the Bible, which was before it, it spawned all the other versions we have today for the most part. Okay, and the vast majority of all of them spawned from the revised version of 1881, translated by two high-level occultists named Westcott and Hort, were essentially who were essentially like Catholic uh, undercover agents in a way. If you read their own writings, they had a high leaning. They, the, number one, they, they they did not view uh, scripture. Um, in any kind of high regard. And they had a lot of huge leanings toward the Catholic Church. They also had a lot of huge leanings toward occultism. Okay, They, they had a club called the Ghostly Guild where they got together and had seances, Westcott and Hort, with, um, they were buddies with like Charles Darwin and, and a lot of high-level occultists of the day in, in England there. They took two corrupt Catholic manuscripts, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, and they used that to create this further corrupted version called the Revised Version in 1881. The, the, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus were, were so bad and so corrupt that nobody had even used them in like hundreds of years. The Sinaiticus was so bad, they found it in a trash can at I believe St. Catherine's Monastery at the base of Mount Sinai which is why they call it the Sinaiticus. It was in a trash can where they found this thing. The Vaticanus had been sitting in the Vatican for a long, long time untouched because they knew it was corrupted. So you take two really bad corrupt manuscripts and two high-level occultists and you have a recipe for disaster. And they create their own Bible, called the Revised Version of 1881. They contradicted themselves in so many places, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, that they finally made this rule of thumb where they said, well, wherever they contradict themselves, we'll just use the Vaticanus. Real, real scholarly there. And this is where 
we get the base Bible, the foundation, and again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is where we get the foundation for the vast, vast, vast majority of all modern day Bibles from this corrupt version spawned in 1881. So it's no wonder this corrupt version, which is where ultimately we get the NIV Bible and the American Standard Bible and the ESAV, or you could go on and on and on. So I'm going to just start into this, this next part here. Just about everyone knows the word Lucifer is another name for Satan. Lucifer is what he was called technically before he fell. Once he fell, he was, his name was changed to Satan. Um, the word Lucifer is found one time in the King James Bible. Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now this is the King James. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Not morning star, son of the morning. Big difference. How art thou cut down, which didst weaken the nations. But what does the NIV say in that same verse? The word Lucifer is clean, bald-headed, gone, and now this creature is identified as the morning star. Lucifer is the morning star in the NIV, which reads, How are you fallen from heaven, O morning star? Son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth who you once laid low in the nations. So, we know that the NIV, that in the NIV, Morningstar is a negative evil figure, right? At least in Isaiah 14, 12. It's, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. That term Morningstar is a real evil figure. It's Satan. Okay. He was fallen from heaven. He was cast down to earth. So, can we find the morning star anywhere else in the NIV, though, to compare it to? Well, sure we can. The following passage in the NIV showed the morning star as Jesus Christ. Now, you see the confusion for somebody reading an NIV in Isaiah 14, 12. They're thinking, now, if you have an NIV reference Bible, it's even worse, because they'll literally give you the references right there to these verses I'm going to read to you, and then you're really going to get confused, because you're going to be thinking, well, then Jesus and Lucifer are the same thing? Well, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. It just goes to show you that Satan has his hoof prints all over this Bible. The NIV has over 64,000 less words than a KJV, which is almost 10% of the total text. That's not a good thing. Who were the translators, one of which was Virginia Mollencott, who was a rabid uh, Earth goddess lesbian, who I've reported on in the past, she was part of the translation committee of the NIV. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. Look it up. Virginia Mullencott. NIV translation committee. I mean, this woman is pure evil. She was part of the translation committee. You definitely want a lot of rabid Earth goddess lesbians on biblical translation committees. I mean, you know, what's not to like about that? I'm sure nothing could go wrong there. You know. Well, that's what you got. And, now, and again, if the revised version started out corrupted, and it was translated from two corrupted Catholic manuscripts that were so bad the Catholics wouldn't even hardly use them, by two high-level occultists, Westcott and Hort, can you imagine? I mean, things like that don't tend to get better over time. It's not like fine wine. 
they tend to degenerate and the versions get worse and worse and worse. And particularly if you have reprobates on the translation committee, it's going to get worse. The Bibles nowadays are so far from their original meanings, you know, you scarcely can could even get saved in a lot of these different Bibles. You, you could never even... There's certain Bibles that refer to Jesus Christ as the one. And I mean, they're going to just continue to degenerate and degenerate. But they'll tickle people's ears and they'll say, well, they're easier to read. Actually, they've done studies on the King James compared to these other versions and when they actually did word studies, they found that the, the reading level was something like around 5th grade, whereas the other versions actually had a higher grade level, reading level. It's just that they're more, um, the, the words are more uh, modern. Okay. Now, if you have a little key, or something like a Noah's, Noah's Webster's 1828, or one of uh, Dr. Waite's uh, King James Bible, King James Bibles, and then it's define where they actually define the archaic words. You can go to BibleFortoday.org. BibleFortoday.org, I believe is his website, Dr. D.A. Waite. He's got a Bible there and it has the little definitions built right in to actually define archaic words in the King James Bible. Chick Track has a little booklet that you can buy, a little booklet you throw in your Bible and it's just a little one. Now that one, I've got, I've had some of those and there's a lot of words that one misses as far as our cake goes, but it, it, it's better than it's better than um, uh, nothing, obviously. Okay, that just should not be the reason that you don't read a KJV. And I started out reading all these these other versions, so I've been there, done it. I mean, I used to think I was more holy because I had all these versions around. Oh, living! I mean, living in the living, it's like they cuss almost in certain parts. I mean, that one's really bad. You know, I have an NIV, and my living, and my amplified, and all these versions around me. And I thought I was really... And the thing is, is they all change the Word of God. They all have different... And so you go in there, and you start looking for the interpretation that suits your fancy best. Now, I'm just telling you, that's what I did. I got to the point where... And again, God kind of... Right when I got to this point, is kind of when God showed me about the KJV. But I got to the point where I was going in there and actually looking at a, a Bible verse, and then I would look at all three versions, or, or, or however many Bible versions I had in front of me, and I would actually write out my own interpretation of what the verse meant. That's dangerous. Real dangerous. Why do you say that? Well, go to the end of the Bible. Let me just read that verse. Just go to the very, 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 very end of the... Now, this is not the only place this is in, in, said. It's not said exactly this way in other parts. But it is said like this, essentially, in other parts. But if you look, if you look at the very, very last uh, chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, it says, For I testify unto... Now, this is how the Bible essentially ends. Okay? For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written into this book. So if you add to the word of God, not a good thing. Okay? And then verse 19, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, so subtracting from the words, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. That means soul damnation. That means hell. 
and then they like a fire. That's a pretty stern warning. Not really something I want to mess around with. And again, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are also written in this book. Now, in regard to this, you can also see, confirming what this just said, see Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs 36, Exodus 32.32, Psalm 69.28, Daniel 12.1, Revelation 3.5, Luke 10.20, Revelation 13.8, and Revelation 17.8. I wrote those all in as confirmation. So, really, not something you really want to mess around with. That verse by itself would make, you know, would, would, would cause me not to ever even think about doing what these translators have done, particularly since 1881, where, when we had the revised version came out. You know, they, they, they really are um, very, 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 very dangerous ground here you're messing with. You're messing with the Word of God. It's not something you want to do. So, um, if we go back to this where it talks about the NIV, and the NIV, Lucifer and Jesus, are essentially the same thing. Remember, so, Lucifer's just mentioned this one time, and... You don't have a lot to compare it to. Well, if he's mentioned as the morning star, and then you have an NIV reference Bible, or you do a keyword search for the morning star in the NIV, it's going to take you to these verses. Uh, 2 Peter 1.19, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Okay, so, again, if you're looking at this, and you have an NIV reference Bible in particular, you're going to be thinking... Okay, Morning Star was mentioned in Isaiah 14.12, where it's clearly talking about Lucifer. And now, it's mentioned in 2 Peter 1.19, where it's clearly talking about Jesus Christ, and he says, I am the bright morning star. Uh, that's not that's a lot of confusion there. Um, Revelation 2.28, And we have the words of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to light is shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Okay. Clearly in reference to Jesus Christ, again, total confusion in the NIV. So, um, the, the man writing the article says, oh, and then also, I'm sorry, I will give him the morning star, Revelation 2.28. I was, I was getting the, the, uh, the, the first verse where I said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. That was Revelation 22.16. And then Second Peter 1.19 was, uh, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And then you have Revelation 2.28. I will also give him the morning star. Okay, now, these are all references to Jesus Christ. Again, just one of the areas where the NIV is not only blasphemous, but breeds total confusion. There's whole verses in the NIV missing. Just, like, go up on the internet and do an NIV, um, I think it's NIV Bible quiz, and it gives you, it says, okay, look up these verses in the NIV, and tell me your answer. And it says, like, fill in the blank. <laughs> the verses are gone. It literally will go, like, from, like, verse 19 to verse 21. They literally remove whole verses in the NIV. Talk about taking away from the Word of God. Again, it has over 64,000 less words 
than the KJV. And I'm just keying on one Bible here, one of these corrupt translations. Okay, one of the favorites, one of the ones I used a lot. But literally, when God showed me the truth about the KJV, when I was I was in full blown charismania at the time too. All of a sudden, when I finally yielded to that, I mean, I was teaching a Bible study in the charismatic church. I I I was, you know, rising in the ranks or whatever, and I was really a baby Christian's bottom line. But you know, I was a doctor and whatever. I. I I was very sincere, but I was sincerely kind of deluded in a lot of ways. And and so, I mean, I had a lot of zeal, but it was a lot of it was misguided. But God knew my heart. It wasn't like I was unsaved. It's just that I was off track. I didn't know any better. The guy that led me to the Lord, essentially, that gave me the book that led me to the Lord, he was a charismatic. And I mean, you know, they were doing all kind of crazy stuff. When I finally yielded to this KJV truth, what ended up happening is all of a sudden my eyes got opened to all the stuff that was going on in the Pentecostal church that had been blinded to me before in the charismatic church I was in. All the stuff they were doing, like everybody praying in tongues like at the same time, like this mass confusion, which is totally unbiblical. All these things that were going on in the church that I was totally blinded to before, all of a sudden I was reading my Bible and I'm like, hey... There's a problem here. And it was like I was blinded to it, though, before. I mean, the, the pastor would go up there, and he'd be reading out of a whatever, NIV, and then the, the person next to me had an ASV, and then the next one next to them had a living. You can't follow along. Again, God is not the author of confusion. Everybody's got different Bibles. It was, it was maddening. And there was so much garbage going on there. And that was what led me out of the charismatic church. I, I don't think I would have got my eyes open had I not yielded to that. Well, the word is foundational to our faith. And it, and it really is sharper than any two-edged sword, as the Bible refers to it. And it, it is that important of an issue. It's not a trivial issue. It's not a matter of preference. It really isn't. If you're reading a corrupted Bible, it's not a matter of preference. It, it is a very, very serious issue. And it's only going to help you. It's only going to help you. And if you're like, oh yeah, but all the archaic... Again, get, get a get a defined King James Bible by, by Pastor D.A. Wade. I think the purest, the, the best as far as the, the absolute best revision of the KJV, and I don't mean translation, I mean revision, is the pure Cambridge text. It's very hard to find those Bibles. It's called a PCE, pure Cambridge edition. Uh, um, I've, I did a, a, a teaching on um, altered King James Bibles. You can key in, I don't know, altered or KJV, and you can see that. Uh, as far as every word being as close to the original as possible, I believe that is the best King James revision that there is. Okay, and that's a whole other subject, but it's not a different translation. It's not like they've... It's, it's a revision, okay? So... Um, Going further, this person ends this by saying, NIV, NIV reader, can you say out loud, and again, this is like to God, if you're reading NIV, Oh Lord, thank you for giving me the NIV. It is proper to call Jesus a fallen creature. Jesus and Lucifer are the same. Thank you, Father. I don't even like saying that, but he's saying, can you say that to God? Obviously you can't, but that's what he's saying. I mean, he's trying to bring drive home the point that there's a huge problem here with this. So, and then he says, if you can say this, 
the Lord and the Father you are praying to then is Satan. If you cannot say this, you need to utterly destroy your perverted Bible. I agree. Don't even use it to, quote, help you. Get a King James Bible so you can have the true word of God. This is very serious. And then I give you the link to that that little article there. And then I also give you the link to my teachings, my one teaching, the NIV, the Satanic Bible, and Homosexual Translators. A nice little lighthearted title. And then the other one, my five-part teaching on the KJV defended as the preserved word of God. So, if you're new to this ministry, you might want to avail yourself. Because this is a foundational issue. Okay, so, let's go further. For Catholics, another false door to absolution is now reopened. Indulgences are back. It shows two ladies here. Two deluded ladies, uh, Karen Nasser and Octavia Andrade, in a church in Queens, New York City. Indulgences are being offered at churches in New York City. It wouldn't really remind me, whenever you have a, a big city in New York being one of the most wicked on the planet, you're going to have, this is where you're going to see, if you're going to have something wicked happen, it's generally going to happen there first. Generally, ground zero for wickedness is in the cities. I think that's why the Bible says, woe unto them that join house unto house and field unto field. This is why I'm not real big on living in apartment complexes. Now, I understand, maybe that's not an option for you. Okay, I'm just saying, the Bible does say, woe unto them that join house unto house. Now, it's in the Old Testament. I'm not saying we're like, you know, under some kind of Old Testament Levitical law. I'm just saying, there are absolute total scriptural truths, obviously, that are in the Old Testament. And there's a spiritual dynamic. I mean, think about it. If a guy's doing a satanic ritual in the apartment next to you, and you're over there praying to God in your apartment, do you think that his wickedness, the wickedness that's going on in literally a apartment complex, it's like joining a house in a house, it's all one building, you think that might affect you as well? I think that's why cities breed this huge level of wickedness. I mean, you'll see some of these shows and where they'll show like a murder occurred at this one particular town and there hadn't been a murder there for like 30 years or something. And you're like, and, and then you go into like, and I understand cities have a lot more population, but per capita, like it's just off the scale, the amount of wickedness and things that goes on in big cities compared to the country and rural. I think that's that spiritual dynamic kicking in. I'm not coming down people that live in cities. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, that you know, that's uh, something to think about. So, the announcement in church bulletins, and another thing, <laughs> last place you want to be is in a big city when things start to really get bad. Unless that's where God has you planted, okay? Because I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm just saying, for the most part, from a practicality standpoint, you know, Anyway, we've covered that in times past, that particular subject. So, the announcement of church bulletins on the websites have been greeted with enthusiasm by some and some weariness by others, meaning this introduction of indulgences. But mainly it has gone over the heads of the vast generation of Roman Catholics who have no idea what it means, what the term bishop announces plenary indulgences. In, and this is the guy writing the article. Now, the guy writing this article must be a Catholic. Okay, But it says, in recent months... 
dioceses from around the world have been offering Catholics a spiritual benefit that fell out of favor decades ago. The indulgence, a sort of amnesty from the punishment in the afterlife and reminding them of the church's clout in mitigating the wages of sin. I read that. I got so angry. I just about blew my stack. The indulgence, a sort of amnesty from punishment in the afterlife. And then they have the audacity, and then he has the audacity to say, in reminding them of the church's clout, the Catholic church's clout, in mitigating the wages of sin, you blasphemous devils. I I can't believe that their black tongues don't rot out of their heads when they say such evil. All I can say is God must be really long-suffering. Because I wouldn't have that kind of patience if I was God. It's really good I'm not God. I'm just telling you right now. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have the near the patience or the grace to extend to this. I just wouldn't. Anyway, um, yeah. The sale of indulgence is commonly regarded as a purchase of forgiveness and a permit to indulge in sin. Get it? Indulgences. Indulge all you want. It was so bad at certain times in history. And I'm sure it'll come back to this. Where you could literally go and pay the local whatever, priest, cardinal, whatever, a certain amount of money so you could go rape a three-year-old girl. That you, you knew what you were going to do ahead of time. I'm not lying. They really did do this. Okay, uh, you know, Mr. Priesty guy, I'm going to go out and I, I, I want to rape this uh, three-year-old child. What, what, what's it going to cost me? Well, uh, it'll cost you this. Give this to the Catholic Church and, and, and then you can go out and do this wicked, disgusting act and your sins will be absolved. If that don't get your blood boiling, I don't know what won't. What will. Yeah, that's how sick and disgusting this practice is. Goes on to say, Christianity... Now, this is a thing... This is a little thing of an excerpt I got on indulgences. Christianity is taught in the Bible, condemns such traffic, and was... And it was the protest of this traffic in part that brought on the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. That's how big a deal, I mean, it had a lot to do with the Protestant Reformation. The practice of indulgences started in the year 1190. So it's been around for a long time. Now, when I read that thing that I just read you, that the indulgence is a sort of amnesty from the punishment in the afterlife and reminding them, or reminding them, of the church's cloud and mitigating the wages of sin. Oh, I, I don't even like saying that. I had these verses start flooding my head. And I'm just going to go over a whole bunch of them now to counter that blasphemous last line I just read. Romans 5.9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, we shall be saved from wrath through him. See, we're saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. We're justified by his blood. The blood he shed on the cross to pay our sin debt. Not by some wicked abomination Catholic death cult that says that they can mitigate sins and that they have clout with God. They have no clout with God. 
The only thing that that they represent on this world is is Satan. Satan works through them. They're emissaries of Satan, essentially. Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. See, the thing is, is if you're a Catholic, you really gotta just take your Bible, even if it's an ASAV, or ASV, American Standard Version, which is their Bible, at least last time I checked, or New American Standard, maybe, I don't know. Depends. You really gotta just put that Bible on the shelf, and not go by it. Just go by whatever the priest is telling you. And again, the people that are caught up in this death cult, they are... So many of them are so blinded and so almost so hard to reach because you can point out scripture verses to them all day long and they're just going to keep saying, they're just going to keep pointing back to the fact that the Catholic Church is the one true church and it's the true mother church and you're going to hell and they're really sorry but you know, you'll, you'll come back into the fold eventually maybe. They give you no, they, they can't battle you scripturally. They can only battle you with whatever the Catholic Church tells them. Which is sheer garbage and conjecture and opinion. I have the, the, the sure word of God to rely on and back up what I'm saying. And my opinion's irrelevant. My opinion is totally irrelevant. Me, Scott Johnson, I'm saying that. All that really matters is what does the word of God say? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved through buying indulgences, which would be a work. Just one of the many works of the Catholic Church. Oh, you got to keep the seven sacraments. you got to do this. you got to pray the rosary. you got to do this and that. you got to pray to this saint. you got to go here. you got to go there. you got to make this pilgrimage here. It never ends. It's a works-based death cult that has the blood of millions upon millions upon millions of martyrs through the Inquisitions alone on its hands. And they're totally, essentially unapologetic for it. People that were real, true, born-again, Bible-believing Christians who they killed all in the name of the Catholic Church through the most horrific means imaginable during the Inquisitions, and we did a whole study on that recently, just key in Inquisitions. I mean, they killed these people in the most disgusting, horrific, perverted, twisted, sick ways. And they have the audacity to act as though they're the whatever, purveyor of all truth, keeper of the flame, the only one true mother church, and then their pedophilic legions of pedophilic priests throughout the ages that still go on this day molesting little boys and girls. And every and so many people turn a blind eye to all this. Oh no, they're still holy. No, they're not. They were never holy. There was never anything about them that were holy. They are an absolute abomination and stench in God's nostrils and that's all they've ever been and that's all they'll ever be. And the only thing they can provide you is death and hell and then the lake of fire. That's the only thing that death cult could ever give you. That's it. Oh, maybe they can make you feel warm and cozy while you're on this planet Earth 
and make you feel like, oh yeah, I'm doing a good job earning my way into heaven. They do a good job at that, I guess. I mean, you just look at the legions of deluded followers. Does that mean I hate them? No, I pray to God their souls be saved. I do. I don't want them to go to hell. I love them enough to tell them the truth. Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? But, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in the Catholic Church. It's not faith in your own works. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if you don't know what it means to be saved truly, then go to my website at contendingfortruth.com, click on the salvation tab, and listen to that teaching, and then listen to the other ones in, you know, after you've listened to the first one. There's one main teaching on salvation. And then I get into baptism and those types of things. They're kind of separate issues. I like to keep them separate. So, This is uh, this is something that needs to be pointed out. So, Titus 3, 5. And this was the first verse that came into my head. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. And these aren't even works of righteousness. An indulgence is not a work of righteousness. It's not like you're going and feeding the homeless or giving to the poor and even letting no man see what you've done. It's not like you're doing that. It's a abomination. It's like you're trying to buy your way into heaven. It is so beyond, it's a work of unrighteousness. Anyway, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Praise the Lord. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, that's the good news right there. The good news isn't what Catholicism can offer you through some works-based, keeping the sacraments religion, works-based religion. That's not the good news. That's the bad news. That's a lie. According to his mercy, he saved us. He is merciful. I praise the Lord Jesus Christ for his mercy. I find myself every day more and more just thanking God for his mercy, for his grace. Just taking time during the day to be thankful. I don't care how dark the world looks. I don't care what is going on every day. Take time every day to be thankful. To just dwell on those things that he's done for you. Not the things that maybe you don't have. Because if you're always going to God with your hand out, you're, that's not the prescription for getting your prayers answered. I'm just telling you. And I'm not saying this so you can you know, get what you want. Like some whatever. But I'm telling you, more and more, I just find myself just praising God. And just telling them how much I love them. Because I know if I got what I deserve, I get death and hell. And that's why this offends me so bad. Because this is such an abomination and so evil what they're doing here. 
They're turning the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into lasciviousness, as the, as the Word of God says. And it's so simple. It's not a, it's, this isn't hard regarding salvation. It's not some formulation that takes a lifetime to get through to figure out you know, in order to maybe hope that you're, you're going to get out of purgatory a little bit quicker. It's not like that. 1 Peter 1, 18-19. Okay, sorry, I had to stop there for a sec. Um, 1 Peter 1, 18-19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things... See, we're not redeemed with corruptible things. We're not redeemed by keeping the seven sacraments, being a good person. Now, works will follow salvation, no doubt. I'm not saying that. And you can show someone your faith by your works, but if you think works are what get, if you put the cart before the horse, you're, you got it all mixed up. You know, like, once you're saved, fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside you, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, those types of things. And once you're saved... You know, if we're, um, a lot of times we should expect chastening, because we're going to mess up. I mean, I'm not saying we strive to mess up, but we're gonna. I mean, and so, I mean, everybody I know, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, and then the Bible says that chastisement of God, if you, if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. A bastard is an illegitimate son. Okay, chastisement meaning like, okay, if you mess up, and you keep messing up, and God ends up chastising you or like a parent spanking their child or disciplining them, that's that's something that you can actually expect to see in the life of a Christian. So those are those are things that are, you know but see we're we're not redeemed with corruptible things. If you think you're redeeming your own self by going to a Catholic church or going to some denomination or going to some religion and you're earning your way into wherever you think you're going, whether it be nirvana, whether it be what you think of as heaven, whether it be paradise, whatever. You're, you're trying to redeem your own life through corruptible means. So, for as much as we know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ... As a lamb without blemish and without spot. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 9.12 Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He only had to do it once. We don't have to keep re-sacrificing Jesus Christ on the cross like they do at Mass in the Catholic Church every time they go there. Because that's literally what they're doing. That's why their Jesus, their version of Jesus, which coincidentally looks like the Sananda Emmanuel Master Jesus Ascended Master version that was probably on right on the cusp of making his big debut that I reported about, I believe, last week. And have reported about many, many times in the past. Just came Master Jesus. It's not the same Jesus of the Bible. It's another Jesus. Okay, that by itself is going to get so many people to buy in, into the whole uh, coming false Jesus lie, hook, line, and sinker. 
I'm telling you, if it be possible, they shall deceive the very elect, according to Matthew 24, 24. God is sending strong delusion, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned, who received not the love of the truth, and had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you're in the Catholic death cult, you are having, you're having no pleasure in the truth. Because you're, 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 you're in a lie. You're entrenched in a system of lies. And you're having pleasure in unrighteousness. Whether you want to admit that or not, you are. You better get out of it. Because that verse in 2 Thessalonians is a stern warning and it's a hell warning. That they might all be damned who received not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And God's sending the strong delusion. So you better get off that delusional train now while you can. Because the longer you stay on it, the harder it is to get off. So, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. See, in the Catholic Church, in the Mass, they go in there and... Their Jesus is still up on the cross. You notice that? They they like to either have him as a pitiful, emaciated, Christ-like figure on the cross because he doesn't seem so threatening that way. He's not the Son of God ever seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty ever making intercession for the saints. No, 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 no. He's up on the cross, emaciated, you know, the whole nine yards. He's not on the cross anymore. He was buried, rose again the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's not the way we need to be continually and perpetually remembering him right now. Those days are done. It is finished. Yes, it was necessary, but the reason they've got him up on the cross is so that they can continually keep re-crucifying him over and over and over through the process of the Mass. And this is what Catholic doctrine teaches, and through the process of transubstantiation, they believe the priest has the power to literally change the Catholic communion host and the wine in the Catholic Mass to the literal, I don't mean figurative, literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that they're literally consuming his flesh and his blood when they undergo that. Over and over and over. Continually recrucified. Why? Because he has to be recrucified every time we go because we have to continually be paying our sin debt. Repaying our sin debt. And continually, through our own works, justifying our own sin. So we have to continually keep recrucified. That's just one of the ways they do it. That they, that they take the blood of Christ and make it none effect, essentially. So, that's what they believe. It's like the priests are their magicians. They can literally do this magical trick. They're like the high priests of Baal, is what they are. So, going further. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off are made nigh, meaning near, by the blood of Christ. And that would apply to the Catholics as much as it would anyone else, anyone unsaved. See, if you're a Catholic, right now you're far off from Jesus Christ. You're far off from salvation. But you can be made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. You can, 
you can obtain salvation through the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. See, we're reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ, to Father God, through the blood of his Son. By him I say, whether they be things of earth or things in heaven. We can obtain true peace through the blood of the cross, in other words. And we can be reconciled through Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross. We can be reconciled to God through him. That's the only way it can be done. It can't be done through works. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, they're not serving the living God. They may think they're serving God, like let's say the best of the best of the Catholics. I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm doing it all. I'm doing all the works that, that the Catholic Church has laid down in order for me to maybe obtain a little less time in purgatory so I can get into heaven quicker. But see, you need to have your conscience purged from dead works to serve the living God. You're not serving God. You're serving Satan. You're serving yourself. You might be serving the Catholic Church, but you're not serving God. You may think you are. But see, people get, they, they, they get their whole lives wrapped up in this. Not only this, then you have to look at the whole generational curse thing. These are very powerful demons that emanate and operate through the Catholic Church. They're very, very, these people are hard to reach. Very hard. But when you have your whole life wrapped up and invested in a belief system, whether it's Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, or whether it's just, well, I think I'm a good person and a loving God wouldn't send a good person like me to hell. Okay, you've just created your own religion, which a lot of people do that too. The longer you remain invested in that thought pattern, the harder it becomes to typically give up. Why? Because you might have 60 years wrapped up in that thought pattern and, and invested in that. And in your own mind, you could be thinking, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I got way, 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 way too much invested in that to ever think about this other way. Let's say true Bible believing Christianity. And it would also require that person to humble himself and to admit that I can't earn my way into heaven, that I can't buy my way into heaven, that nothing that I can do would ever merit heaven, for we are all together as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, as the Bible says in Isaiah 64 6. So, I mean. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 So I mean, okay, you can't merit it. But you might not believe that. You might think, no, 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 no. I, I can't, my, my ego's way too big. I got way too much invested. I got way too much pride, which is typically what it boils down to. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. They got way too much invested. They can't do it. Can't, nope, sorry, can't go there. 
not going to even listen to you. And they'll cling to that pride and it'll take them to hell when they could have just accepted the free gift that Jesus Christ offers. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Most people will go to hell just for for that sake alone. Now you could say, well, it's because of this religion or it's that. Yeah, but it's the pride, I really believe, that blinds them to the truth. You could be a proud Catholic, or I'm this, or I'm that, I'm a Lutheran, I'm this, and I'm... I'm and it's, a lot of it boils down to pride. Self-centeredness, pride. Pride blinds you. It blinded Lucifer because of his beauty and his merchandise, essentially, if you look at Ezekiel, he was lifted up. And then he said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend unto the sides of the north. He was going to try to usurp God. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, probably the highest created angelic being in, that the world, that the universe has ever known. The highest created angelic being. I'm not saying he was an angel because he was a cherub. Let's say he was an anointed cherub that covereth. If you want to call a cherub an angel, you can. I'm saying he was an angelic being. But if you look in the Bible, a cherub is different than like Michael the archangel or a seraphim. Angelic beings. The anointed cherub that covered probably covered the throne of God. And yeah, he was lifted up, his pride. It blinded him. So much so that he actually thought he was going to like take over God's position. That's pretty deluded. Could do the same thing to you. And you can get brought, you can get blinded through a religion or through whatever. I'm a good person. I never, you know. Reasons are endless. So you just you got to humble yourself. Unless you humble yourself as a little child, you will not see the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. You got to humble yourself. And admit, you can't do it. You can't save yourself. So, going further. Let's go further here. Uh, so, it's, it's, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to of God, purge your conscience. See, the blood of Christ can purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. See, that's the, that's the Catholic's only hope, is that the blood of Christ purge them of this. So that they can see that these are dead works. And that they can't save themselves. And you can't get saved in that manner. Hebrews 10.19 Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The holiest of holy. You can approach the throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not of your own righteousness. Not of works, lest any man should boast. <clears throat> not to say we're not supposed to live righteous lives. I'm just saying, you've got to have the order correct. Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Suffered outside the city, essentially, in Golgotha. Okay, so, sanctify. What does that word mean? To be, to be made holy and set apart for... Christ's use, essentially. Jesus Christ sanctified us. He made us holy and set us apart through his blood. It's a very important thing. I always bring the blood of Jesus Christ into the salvation picture. There's a lot of 
um, tracks that I've seen that don't mention the blood of Jesus Christ in leading someone to the Lord. And I think that's dangerous. I think they need to understand what the blood of Jesus Christ does regarding like these verses. It's important. It's not something I don't think you should exclude if you're trying to lead someone to the Lord. It's very important. It's an integral part of salvation. They need to understand this concept. First John 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. See, the Bible even says, even after we're saved, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's 1 John. That's in right, right close to this. It doesn't mean we, we go around and that we have um, a license to sin or that we sin that may grace may be abound because the Bible says not to do that or not to use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh. No, we don't do that. I'm just saying that we just need to have the big picture. In mind. See, a lot of times people will, will dwell on one doctrine and they'll say, oh, it's this, this, this. To the exclusion of all these other different verses in the Bible that need to be reconciled with those versions they, they're dwelling on. You need to reconcile them all together. In other words, to achieve a biblical balance. And I don't mean being lukewarm. I'm saying that we need to reconcile all Bible verses together to make sense and to give us the big picture. That's what I've attempted to do with this ministry in the Bible teachings I've done. Well, they'll say, well, are you this or this? Well, okay, there's truth in this theory and there's also truth in this theory. There's also some... Because people have just dwelt on certain verses to the exclusion of the rest of these verses... You've got to balance them out. And they can be done. So I just call myself a born-again Bible-believing Christian. And I'll call myself a whatever or whatever. You know, oh, he's that, or he's this. Uh, I, don't like, I don't really like labels. You know, get, let's get into a camp so we can all fire errors at other camps of people that believe this way. And let's say they're saved Christians, but they believe differently or whatever in a particular area. Well, let's reconcile the whole Bible together. And not have to, you know, there's so many divisions in Christianity as it is. I mean, the denominational system alone is, is unbiblical. I mean, there's no Bible for it. I'm this and I'm that. Oh, gee. Give me a break. <laughs> anyway, let's go further here. So, <clears throat> Revelation twelve eleven, And they overcame him, the Antichrist, by the blood of the Lamb. You think the blood of Jesus Christ is important? <laughs> this is how you're actually going to overcome the Antichrist. The blood of the Lamb, the first thing mentioned, and the word of their testimony, and they loved their lives... And they loved not their lives unto the death. That's how they overcame. Blood of the Lamb is the first thing mentioned. The Lamb, capital L. And whenever, you know, you know, the this is the blood of Jesus Christ we're in reference to. So, okay, I'm going to have to stop here and go to part uh, two here. So, uh, I'm sorry, I ran a little over in time. So, God bless you and we'll see you in part two.
Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.